0: Uh, before we get into the text this morning, I, I just want to take a minute um, and talk about, you know, some things that are going on in our world today. As you know, over the last eight days, Israel has been under attack and um, they've been in the process of defending themselves. And um, I, I think it's important for us to understand biblically what's happening um, in the sense of ways that we can pray uh, for the nation of Israel um, I want to read Psalm 122 uh, for you, and this is uh, a song of ascent by King David, and this is what he writes. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, an ordinance for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for their thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may be peace within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. And so it's it's not just because of Psalm 122, but it's clear as you read the scriptures that Israel is very important to God. Uh, They are his covenant people. He's made promises to them that he still intends to keep. And so this nation that has uh, faced much turmoil throughout its history um, is precious to God. And it's amazing how God protects these people throughout human history. And so I would invite you to pray for the nation of Israel. I would also also invite you to pray for the salvation of Israel. And that's the Apostle Paul's message in Romans chapter 11. That God has made these promises to these people. And they are precious to him. But his desire is that they would come to know Jesus as their Messiah, and so uh, for us to pray for their salvation, to pray for the salvation of the Palestinians, to pray for the the workers that are in Israel and and in the Gaza Strip that are ambassadors of Christ, uh, that the gospel would continue to go forward. And so, um, when we read these events, you know, we you can look at it one way and and say, oh, "Okay." There's trouble in the Middle East and you flip open to the book of Revelation and say, "Okay, everything's happening just like the Bible says it would. And you forget that there are people there that need to know Jesus. And so as we pray for Israel, we don't just pray for national peace. We pray for the salvation of those who are in harm's way. And so uh, we want to pray for Israel this morning. We want to pray for those that are in in the midst of conflict this morning and just ask that God uh, would draw them close to him. So let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that you are the sovereign Lord. And when we uh, read about rumors of wars and wars themselves, God, there's a sense of us that um, we're just... We're alarmed and we're overwhelmed with, with sadness that uh, conflict brings. And so we pray for the Middle East right now. We pray especially for Israel, your chosen people. And we ask God that you would continue to give them strength and watch over them. Uh, Father, we pray as you do so, that they would see the grace that You have given them through the Messiah, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And that in the midst of conflict that their hearts would be stirred to see that Jesus is their Savior. And we pray for those in Palestine in the Gaza Strip. We pray for those in the country of Lebanon. We pray for... Raymond our missionary and his ministry there and uh, we pray for those that are, are following you and love you that you would draw them close to yourself in these times of uncertainty and we also pray for the salvation of those that do not know you life is such a precious gift The Scriptures remind us, Lord, that we are here one minute and gone the next. Our life is but vapors. And so, Father, I pray that for every person that is serving You, that You would give them um, protection, that You would give them boldness, that You would give them assurance in the work that they are doing. And, God, that You would bring true peace to the hearts of sinful men that only comes through the cross of Jesus and that we would be a people that are earnestly praying and we ask, Lord, Your will be done. And so help us now in these moments to be prayerful and mindful for Your glory and our good. And we'll thank You in Christ's name. Amen. There's a difference between these two questions, and it's not a small difference, it's a big difference, but the question, who am I? And the question, what should I do? There's a big difference to the answers of those questions. One speaks to our identity. Who am I? I mean, if you ask that to yourself, what you're really asking is, What is my identity? Where do I belong? What is known about me? What is my history? Where am I headed? What is for me? And that second question, what should I do, speaks to our actions. Now these questions are fundamentally very important for all of us to ask. And I I would say, if you've never verbalize those questions you ask yourself those questions often who am i and what should i do every time you make a decision you're asking yourself what should i do every time you're trying to figure out your place in the world you're asking yourself who am i But it's really important for us to ask these questions in the right order. I say that because sometimes even as Christians, we reverse the order of the questions. We focus on what we should be doing. We spend a lot of time asking ourselves, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And and along the way, we forget who we are. And when we do that. We lose a sense of why we're doing what we're doing. I see this a lot in, in, in young believers. And I'm not talking about like young by age. I'm talking about young spiritually. People that are new to the faith. Um, they're, they're, um, they've just begun a relationship with Jesus. They're, they're trying to figure out what it means to walk with the Lord. And they spend a lot of time focusing on the activity of the Christian life because they're looking around and they're saying, OK, I see this person doing this and the pastor said this in his sermon. And they focus a lot on the doing of the Christian life because it's easy to measure our spirituality based on what we do. The crazy thing about the gospel, right, is our spirituality is never measured on what We do. It's measured on what has already been done for us. And because Jesus has taken our place and given us his righteousness. God has already approved us. To be a part of his family. Now I think there's a tendency in all of us to focus on what we do. Because it's easy to quantify that. We measure how we're doing because of what we're doing. But the danger is that if we don't know who we are, we're going to lose sight of why we are doing the things that we ought to do. Now, you may have gone through seasons like this where you felt like you should read your Bible more and you should pray more and you should be more consistent in your church attendance that you should serve in ministry. You know, and, and, and we see this all the time, right? January 1st, we make resolutions and think, I know I should be doing some things better. And you give it the old college try, right? And you, you're really good at it until January 3rd. And I was gracious. I was going to say January 2nd. But if you're focusing on your activity and not understanding who you are, your activity will quickly diminish. Over time, you drift back into inactivity. Why? Because you don't know who you are. You don't know what God has said about you. And I would say that the one fundamental reason we drift back in our spiritual life is we forget what God says about us. If you understand who you are, it will affect what you do. It will. Instead of looking for ways to measure up, rest in the knowledge of what God says is true about you. Why do I say this in in this way to this point? Because this is Peter's main emphasis to this point in his letter. He has spent the majority of the opening verses, and I know we've only made it through 12 verses so far, but really, these 12 verses introduce to his audience the reality of who his readers are. This is the pattern of the New Testament writers. If you read the other letters of the New Testament that the apostles wrote, what do they always focus on? Doctrine first, application second. Now, why would they do that? Because you can't apply the things that you should be doing in the Christian life if you don't first understand who you are in Jesus Christ. We have to settle it in our minds and in our hearts and know who Jesus is and what it means to be in relationship with Him. If we are ever going to live a life that is pleasing to God. And if not, you're going to tirelessly burn yourself out. Trying every next thing. Thinking, okay, if I do this. If I do that. If I keep pursuing this. And oh no, I forgot this. And then you feel shame and sadness and think, oh no, I've got to start over again. No. Don't worry about the activity. Know who you are and the activity is going to flow because of who you are. This is what Peter's point is. What did he say about these people that is true? Well, first, they're aliens living in a foreign land. They're not home yet. Understanding that drastically changes what you think about what you should be doing. Listen, you're not home yet. You're not. We live as if we're home already. We build our lives around these truths. Right? The great American dream. We're not home yet. We're passing through. What did he say about them as they're passing through? Well, they're going to get an inheritance. And it's eternal. And it's really good. It's been preserved for them through the blood of Jesus Christ. As saved people, they belong to God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. They, like us, do not belong here in this world. And like them, we too have been born again into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since this world is not our home. We all will go through various trials. And those various trials. Are going to seemingly crush us. But God is using it. To test our faith. And he's strengthening our faith. So that we can have more confidence. In the sovereign appearance of Jesus Christ. That when the Lord appears. We will be a people. With arms stretched out, reaching for him. Because when he returns, he will bring his children home to be with him forever. This king who is returning has defeated death and the grave. It's this savior that has been promised to us from the very beginning of creation. We talked about this last week, our salvation, although a mystery to the prophets and the angels draws us into the example of our Savior who suffered, then received glory. This is what we know to be true about what it means to follow Jesus that suffering precedes glory. And we need to understand who we are as a follower of Jesus, as an alien passing through onto a better home, onto a secure place that has been guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That this Savior suffered, we too will suffer. But that God will use the sufferings in our lives to strengthen our faith, not to weaken our faith, not to to fracture it, but to draw us close to himself. And why is this important to understand? Because if we know who we are, we're going to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. And those things that God is calling us to do is what really finishes the rest of 1 Peter. We're going to read exhortation after exhortation about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it begins here this morning in these verses. But remember, you're not home yet. Child of God, you are not home. We live and make decisions as if this is the only place that will be our home. I fell into that trap a little bit this week. We got our uh, IRA statement. Our quarterly statement. Now, Lord willing... Um some thirty years away from all of that. And I opened the statement and I looked at it and I thought, where did it all go? <laughs> Have you had similar panic attacks? Um I was talking to someone this week. And they said that they've lost over a hundred thousand dollars and they're Retirement based on how things are going. And you can read those statements and think. What am I going to do? What's going to happen? And I would say to you, child of God, you're a pilgrim passing through. And there's something far greater that God has prepared already for you. We need to press on in that. We need to not lose sight of the eternal inheritance that is ours. You don't belong to this world. You are God's child given a far greater purpose than life here on earth. Uh, I'm not going to be able to talk about this at all, but this thought came to me this morning as I was thinking, um, don't do it now. But when you get home, uh, go to YouTube, look up John Piper's seashell sermon. It's like from 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, There's a short two-minute clip that you can watch. There's the fuller message that he gives at a large uh, conference outdoors. Uh, John Piper was senior pastor of uh, Bethlehem Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for a number of years. Writer, theologian. Um, You're gonna, you'll listen to that sermon and he'll get your attention about this greater question. Um, But we're not home. We need to understand this. We need to understand what Peter is going to say about what it means to follow Christ and and, and the activity of our lives and understand that we, we we live in a certain way because we're not home yet. That our duty flows out of our understanding that we're not home. That we should be compelled as children of God to live a certain way because this world desperately needs people that love Jesus live. To live a certain way. To not be like the world around us. If you don't understand who you are as God's child, you may hear the things Peter writes in these remaining verses and think, I should try that. That sounds good. But it's only going to last for a minute. Because if you don't know who you are, these commands will not be able to light your path to walk on. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 if you haven't already. What I'd like to do is read verses 13 through 16 for you as we unpack the, these beginning applications that, that Peter writes to these aliens that are scattered. And as you turn there, hear the word of God. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, well, Peter begins this exhortation and the word exhortation means command, a directive. Peter begins this exhortation with therefore, and we've talked about this before, but therefore, the therefores of the New Testament letters are there as hinge words that connect what was behind us to what is in front of us. And, and as a result of what was behind us, and we know in the context of first Peter that Everything that Peter is saying now about what it means to walk with Christ is built upon who these believers know they are to be as people that have received an inheritance through Jesus Christ. They are kingdom bound people in a foreign land. And he says, therefore, therefore, prepare your minds for action. It's at this time that Peter is saying it's time we roll up our sleeves mentally and adopt attitudes that will affect our activities. What he is saying in these verses don't seem very practical, right? They still seem too big for us. But really, if we can understand what Peter is saying, just in verse 13 alone, it really impacts the way that we live because the way we live is based on how we think. And if we are guarding our minds, if we are preparing our minds for action, if we are sober in spirit, and if our hope is fixed continually on the grace That is to be brought to us, it will change the way that we conduct ourselves in this world. Prepare your minds for action. Peter explains that the biggest area to prepare is what is going on in your mind. What are you thinking about? Where do your thoughts go? What do you know to be true? In a sense, Peter is saying, make up your mind decisively. And can I add to that? As you make up your mind decisively, make your minds up decisively of who you know you are in Jesus Christ. And you can't find the knowledge of that question anywhere else but in the Word of God. You can't find the answer to the question, who who am I? In the world, you can only find it in the Word of God, where God is clearly declaring to you how much He loves you, how much He has brought you into His presence by His grace, how much He is for you and working through you and wanting to help you. You can't find the answers to the questions in Reader's Digest or in a podcast. You can't find it around the coffee table. You can't find it in the front page of the newspaper. You can't find it in the newest bestseller book or movie. You can only find it in the Word of God. Know who you are in Christ. The battlefield of your mind is the place where your faith will likely rise or fall. What we think, what we know to be true will change the trajectory of our lives. Listen, if you have a small God, like small letter G, that you can put in a box, right? And He's nice and small, and you visit Him on Sunday mornings, and you sing songs about Him, and you hear messages about Him, And you expect Him to to help you out every time you're in trouble like a, a genie in a lamp. You pray prayers and you rub the lamp and you think, God, you fix it. If your God is small, your faith will be weak. And this world will swallow you up. But if God is big, if He is the sovereign Lord, if He is the King of the universe, If he is the one who is actively working his glory out in your life for your good, no matter what the circumstances of your life are. If his word is true enough in you that it is sure ground for you to stand on as you make your way through this life towards his heavenly presence. If God is big, your faith will be big. Now, now Peter uses this word in verse 13. He says, prepare your minds for action. This word prepare means to gird up. Now, in the first century world, as Peter was writing this, you know, they didn't wear clothes like we wear. They they wore a lot of uh, like gowns. Right. And, and there was an outer gown and there was an inner gown. And, they, and there would be a lot of this flowing fabric all around you. And, and to live in the first century world to gird yourself up would be to take all the excess and like tuck it in. So that you can run. So that you could be prepared so you wouldn't trip over the extra in your life. To gird up was to cinch up your robe so as to not trip up. Now, let me give you a very simple example. You all know what this is? It's a crock, right? Some of you wear them. Some of you will never wear them as a personal choice. Um, but I don't know if you knew this, but Crocs have two modes to them. So right now, this is in comfort mode. You can just slip right in, right? But there's another mode to Crocs. It's sport mode. You just flip this this way, and it stays on your foot. And then you can run as fast as you want, wherever you want to go, right? So if you put your Crocs in sport mode next time, think, all right, I'm girding my foot up for action. I'm preparing it for action. Some of you will never wear these or see these in another way. (laughs) But that's the thing, right? Prepare your minds. This is the call. To prepare your mind is equal to being spiritually alert. Know not only who you are, but also know who God is and what his plans are. Know him. Know that you were bought with a precious price. Know what his will is. We go through life thinking, I don't know what God's will is. And it seems like this far off mystery that's unattainable. And we think, I don't know what God wants me to do. What should I do? And we ask all sorts of questions. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? The easiest answer is get in the word of God. And he'll tell you what to do. He'll show you. He'll guide your steps. And He'll replace all those questions with, oh right, this is how He wants me to live my life. And the Word of God isn't antiquated. It's not this far off book about a culture of people that are so far different than us that we can never do those things. The Word of God is practical and 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 it speaks to us in our current condition because the current condition of us is the same condition of them 2,000 years ago, that we are sinners that need grace and forgiveness. And God gives great help to those who come to him. We need to prepare our minds. We do this by keeping sober in spirit. Listen, one of the ways that Satan distracts us is by keeping our minds focused on things that are not important. Turn on the news sometime. I'm not saying that the the events in the Middle East are not important. But they shouldn't be received with such fear that we lose track of where we're headed. That when we open the front page or when we listen to the the news on the radio or on the TV, that we walk away with such fear and trembling that how are we ever going to make it through today? And then what we do is we make all these rash decisions to try to correct today that we forget the bigger picture. Listen, in this battlefield of our mind... One of the ways that Satan is trying to erode our understanding of our eternal inheritance is to get us so fixated on the right now that we forget that there is a future. And everything in between from the right now to the future is held by the sovereign Lord of the universe. God doesn't make any mistakes, right? And he is never asleep. He is working his will for his glory, every second, every moment of this life. Keep sober in spirit. Soberness is not just a reference to not being drunk, but it to be clear thinking, to be clear thinking not having anything that will inhibit our spiritual alertness and the idea of being spiritually lazy. There may be a lot of good things your mind is thinking about. Like even today, right now, there might be some good things that your mind is thinking about. Some of you might be having a trip around the corner that you're preparing for and you think that's a good thing and you're making plans and you're, you're doing all those things and that's important. Some of you have maybe some good things like a work thing coming up that is going to be a, a, a positive experience for you if you're thinking about that. And that, that's important. Right? We can spend a lot of time thinking about career, possessions, recreation, reputation, friendships, scholarship, authority, all those things. They're not necessarily bad things, but if that's all we're fixated on, we're missing the main thing. And We've got to keep our minds sober. For life in this world, prepare. Be sober. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix it. Fix your hope. Your hope isn't in anything else, it shouldn't be. Your hope shouldn't be when I get to retirement. Your hope shouldn't be when you get your IRA statement, think, yes, there's my hope. The stock market went up, so I got more. That's not where your hope should be. Your hope shouldn't be, Whew, I raised my kids and they're all out of the house and they're alive and they're functioning people. Whew, we made it. That shouldn't be your hope. Your hope shouldn't be the promotion that you get. Your hope shouldn't be the, the person that you meet that will be your spouse. Your hope shouldn't be, Another person. Your hope shouldn't be a circumstance. Your hope should be Jesus Christ. And it should be fixed on Him. Like, you're locked in. You're not moving. The world could be burning down around you. But because you have Jesus, you're locked in and you have joy because you have hope. And what a conquering Savior that has already guaranteed your forever presence with him. Our lives should be so lived and led as with the expectation of Jesus's return. Like we know this we don't live this way, right? Jesus could return at any moment, even during this sermon. And if Jesus were to return right now, what were we thinking about? That trip we were going to go on? Or our fixed hope on his return? When we fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us, then present trials will not deflect us from obeying God faithfully now when your hope is fixed on the appearing of Jesus life could crush you but you're going to press on in maturity you're going to keep asking God how do I obey you how do I live for you how do I trust you how do I honor you knowing who you are As a child of God. Affects how you live. And it also affects where you let your mind dwell. And so Peter says in verse 14. As obedient children. That phrase might better be translated as. Children whose spirit is of obedience. Not just obedient children. Where you know father walks in the room. And the kids get real quiet. And they're like oh we better be on our best behavior. Because dad's in the room. No. Children whose spirit is obedience. Like who we are is a child who longs to obey his father's heart. As a people who know they are God's family, as a child of God, our desire should be to obey the will of our father. Knowing we are his child and beloved by God should compel us to obey God. That's the what should we be doing question. That's where that comes in. When you know who you are, then you spend your life thinking, how do I please my father? I belong to him. I'm in his family. And he has expectations to be a part of his family. God, how do I live for you? If we're trying to obey God to appease him alone, it will be a never ending pursuit of our effort to try to give us assurance. We have a spirit of obedience because we love him. Cultivate that through a relationship with Him. Talk to Him. Talk to God. Talk to Him. Have conversations with Him. The best thing about communicating with God is not only you talking with Him, but listen to Him. He's he's speaking. He's speaking to you. All the time. And we think, oh, like in the Old Testament, like a voice from heaven? No, in His Word. God's word is speaking to us all the time. Go to the place that he calls you to, to be a light and a blessing. Serve in his body. And as you live for him, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Formerly, we lived for ourselves. Some of you remember that very vividly. Formerly, we lived for ourselves. Formerly, we allowed our flesh to guide our decisions. Follow your heart. That was our motto. Do what is best for us. Where was that leading us? To death. Separated from God. Peter says no longer should we live for what our flesh craves. A self-indulgent life is one that is ignorant to the truth of God. Practically, this means that as you make your way home to heaven in a world that is broken by sin, you will need to consciously say no to the flesh often. And boys, isn't there? There's just overwhelmingly uh, too many things in this world that come after our flesh. Everything that is marketed to us today is built around the idea that we need it to make our lives better. You know what you need to make your life better? jesus make much of him keep your minds prepared have a sober spirit fix your hope on the grace to come the grace to come is far better than anything this world can offer it's far better and so what does peter do he transitions now to the example in verses 15 and 16 but like the holy one who called you so what he's saying is, you're a part of his family, you're his now. He's called you, and he's holy. Peter says, "Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." Rather being conformed, like what Paul said in Romans 12:1 and two, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be like the Holy One. Who's the Holy One? Jesus. It seems very simple, right? Be like Jesus. Be like Him. You want to live in a way that honors your Father? Live like Jesus. Far too often, though, we live far differently Then Jesus would want us to live like the holy one who called you be holy yourself also in all of your behavior. You should imitate your holy God who has called you to be holy in all your behavior, all of your thoughts, all of your words and all of your deeds. And now you read and hear those words. and, And what is the next thing that comes to mind? I can't do that all the time. Listen, I read it this week and thought, I can't do that all the time. But holy conduct is the mark of those who set their hope on the grace to be revealed at Christ's coming. Living holy, living or holy living doesn't mean that we live perfect lives, but it means that we live lives that are set apart. That's what holiness means. We're set apart. Right in the Old Testament, like in the Book of Leviticus, when God, through Moses, was telling Israel how they should be in a relationship with him and the things that they should do to set themselves up in that relationship. There was a lot of talk about holiness. And every time this idea of holiness is mentioned to Israel, is you're to set these things apart because they're different. Because to be in a relationship with God means that you're different. Like we tell, and you've heard me say this, right? We tell our kids all the time, we're different. Right? As followers of Jesus, we're different. We're different than the world. We should live different lives because we are God's children. We should not settle to be like everyone else. We are pilgrims passing through. Holy conduct is the mark of those who set their hope on the grace to come. God is Holy. He's set apart. God is perfectly holy. We talked about that last year. It was a year ago this time. In fact, it was almost 52 weeks ago that I preached a message on 1 Peter 1, wrapping up my series on holiness after I returned from sabbatical. And I looked at those notes then, and I look at what I, what I have now, and I thought, okay, yeah, we're in a different spot right now. God is separated from all that is morally impure and evil. His, he desires that we, his children, live separated lives for his glory. Our character should be pure and whole. Our desires should be God's desires. Our actions and conduct, not just in the church, but in the world, should follow suit. Our lives should reflect our love for God and a desire to live in his truth. We are called to holiness because God is holy. Leviticus eleven forty four through 45 is the quote here from verse 16. But that phrase, be holy for I am holy, is found two other places in the book of Leviticus. God's desire for His people is that they be holy like He is. And if we are not, then why not? Right? If we're not living holy lives, why? What's in the way? What we want? What we think is important. What's getting in the way of our pursuit of personal holiness? Is it that we are unwilling to give up the appetites of our flesh for the greater pursuit? Now, to be holy doesn't mean that you go home, sell all your possessions and live as a poor man, just preaching the gospel in the countryside. That's not what holiness means. Holiness means that you can have things in this world, but those things don't own your heart. Because your affections are Christ and Him alone. I think the the better question to ask when it concerns personal holiness is sometimes we just don't know what it means. That if we don't know how, don't be afraid to ask. Ask me. Ask Pastor Dustin. Ask one of our elders. Ask someone that you know that is uh, mature in their faith. But always be ready to dig into the Word of God when you ask that question What does it mean to be holy? And I would add to it belong to a community group here at church that digs into the Word of God. Hear from God, and the Holy Spirit will take His Word and apply it in your life. But remember, your obedience as children begins with the reality that you are first a child of God. That's what Peter says here as obedient children. You're a child. You belong to the family. You're his. And as a result of belonging to him. His desire is for you to follow him in holiness. So who are you? Well, you're a child of God. First John three, one love this verse. This is an amazing verse, right? It's very simple, but very profound. See how great. A love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. That God's love is on the greatest display when we can consider ourselves His children. We're not aliens or strangers to God no more, we're not His enemy. We're not on a chasm, on the other side of a chasm too far that we can cross. We're not just slaves brought in under the shelter of a good master. We're his children. We live in his home under the shelter of his care, given an inheritance that is perfect. So, who are you? You're a child of God. What should I do? Be holy. Be holy. And may God be praised as we keep our hope fixed completely on the grace to come in Jesus' return. Let's pray.